Earth. I have no doubt that we will eventually find ways of crossing the immense distances of space in just a few years. One of our species, great strengths, is embracing new ideas and evolving them into cutting-edge technologies. Just look at advances we've made in the fields of medicine, communications and electronics. We only built the first silicon chip 60 years ago. Now it powers just about every aspect of our lives. Our ingenuity will get us to Proxima B. You listen to Man Behind the Machine. The Machine. Behind. Man. Man. Machine. Tell me more. 
Well, if you talk to people that are hail put off, for example, and these other people that have been in the program for a long time, um, when they're asked about exotic materials that are in the possession of the U.S. government, um, they will be very on the record, definitive, convincing. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, multiple different interviews with all these different people and on a very reputable shows, um, you know, the biggest names, and, and they are, they're as convincing as they get. The credentials are unassailable. Um, they were in these government positions. That's not denied. And then they spin them off into uh, working with To The Stars Academy and Tom DeLong. Um, and I think that literally was the first time that this like branch of disinformation was kind of at the point where they're like, we have to acknowledge this. And, and Greer helped essentially with that. Um, unacknowledged is the name of the show. And, and before that, that's his movie, but before that there was him holding a press conference at what, what uh, I think it's like what National Press Club or something like that. I think that's what it might be actually. Something like that. It's it's a you know distinguished place that's only used by um, pretty much all the media. And so take that or leave it. I mean, obviously we, there was probably less independent media in there then than there would be there now. But uh, you know it wasn't that long ago. And he basically brought up high-ranking military official after high-ranking military official who gave unassailable testimony. That was the beginning of the end, I think. And so where does Greer fall into all this? I mean, just look into that. I, I think it's... They used people before um, to kind of cast some disinformation. And, and again, I think it is really what we're seeing is the first time that um, what's actually being spun off has resulted in the government coming out and saying, yes, this video is real. This is from United States military equipment, you know, the Tic Tac, Gimbal, Go Fast. So how, how did they get here? Um, is there some like different dimensional reality, which is kind of this direction. It seems to have gone a little bit lately in terms of this dimensionality aspect to it. You know, I, I, we've talked about this before, man. I, I prefer to think that they're on these craft that are coming here and can get here faster than light. And I still think that. I, at the end of the day, that's what I think. But there's this new way of thinking about this. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like Whitley Strieber communion which was one of the first um that there was an interdimensionality to that experience um i would say betty and barney hill is kind of like it's more it's not even 50 50 it's like 75 percent like alien craft but there's also this other 25 percent, which i think actually is also from the uh, alien where they're i mean that's a that's a the betty and barney hill thing is fascinating and how it What's how that? it uh What's that? What's that? It's one of the. I think it was. Oh man, I did a book report back on back in the day. Uh, 
I should know. I think it was 1952 or something. And it, anyway, it, they were an interracial couple, which was, uh, you know, like very sensational at the time when they came out with this report that they had been abducted. Well, they they didn't say that. They're just like, you know, people came asking, and they're like, yeah, this is what happened. And if you if you look at their testimony, Betty and Barney Hill, Interrupted Journey is the name of the book. I'm sure there is at least a movie, probably two, called the, In- the Interrupted Journey with Betty and Barney Hill. Um, James Earl Jones is actually stars as Barney in the movie that I saw. It's great. Um, and it's, you know what? I think, I think it's not, th- I, I think it happened. I think there's, I've, I've done a lot of research about this one. And I think this one actually happened. And so if you look at what they say, um, there's some interesting insight. Now, could they be lying about it? Yeah. Um, they didn't profit. I don't, there was never any attempts to, it was, it was clear. Like you can listen to the tapes of them being placed under hypnosis, audio tapes. And there's video, I believe too. I, I can't, I can't say that for sure, but I know, I've, I've listened to it and I believe I've, you know what? Yes, I've seen it too. They are the best actors in the world if that's faking it um when they're in hypnotic regression now obviously they can't be that can't be trusted 100 percent in order like for details that wouldn't be a reasonable expectation for hypnotic regression but to see these people being put under that and again that footage of them is out there um they're put under hypnotic regression and, and they're terrified like 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 adrenaline response terrified like yeah and so I believe that what they're saying happened and they were brought aboard an alien craft and uh, Zeta Reticuli I believe is what they said I guess I don't know but it doesn't matter they're way further than we you know we're reliant on whoever gets here at this point in our lifetime but I think it was Zeta Reticuli or something like that it wasn't Alpha I don't think but Alpha's fascinating I mean okay so let's you want to talk about Alpha for a minute yes all right so my understanding is that you know alpha is probably not um, the best place to find habitable planets because of the you know the it it's it's a very volatile star it can do huge command uh, uh coronal mass ejections like all the time in different um so my understanding is that red dwarfs are extremely volatile and the planets that we know about are probably you know like cloaked in darkness essentially and subjected to these coronal mass ejections and you know the solar wind i don't know how much of, a, of an issue that is there but they're volatile in terms of just ejecting things as far as we've seen you know that's the big question like in terms of like it's like a okay well then there's this there's like okay now there's 50 percent. i think it's i think it might be like i don't know 60 i don't know whatever there's certain percentage more of life in the universe if life is possible around a red dwarf because they represent the majority of stars out there my understanding 
at least in terms of what we can observe, you know, this region of the universe. Um, my understanding is that, you know, the other two stars could. I don't think we've been able to image any planets around there. Uh, you know, a red dwarf, my understanding right now is to kind of write a red dwarf off in terms of having anything that we would recognize as intelligent life. You know, I think places like Enceladus are fascinating. I mean, octopus. I mean, shit. Could could DNA from a, a ice moon have gotten somehow panspermied like over to Earth from Enceladus? Or, I mean, there's so there's so many good ones. Europa, any of these. I think Enceladus is really intriguing. I mean, tidal tidal heating unlocked um like that's a like that's like a 10 times multiplier you see what i'm saying yes it, it, you know we talk about like red dwarfs might be like a 50 or 60 percent you know like if you do it's whatever uh you know yeah, the, one point, whatever times. When, when you, when the, the you realize of, that the there's head. tidal heating allowed for these moons on distant planets that are massive, like we see around our giants, like Saturn and Jupiter especially, I mean, that unlocks so many opportunities for life to exist, especially on, like, ice shelf. Like, maybe, you know, however many kilometers or whatever worth of ice, even if you're in a a system with a planet that has a huge like radiation like that'll absorb that and there can be advanced life that exists below yeah, so they I talk think, about the they dude, talk think, about the think, they talk about the habitable zone yeah yeah th For that us. allows it allows it allows life to exist way further than the habitable zone way further tidal tidal heating allows the habitable zone to be reconsidered without a doubt uh, we we know that. I mean, we, we, we know that we see the... Well, we don't know... Okay, I won't say that. I'll, I'll say there's not any universal discussion. I Not that I would know, but habitable zone has not been redefined as far as I understand it, but that's contradictory to this. what we see when hey, we have our... Let that? me ask you this question. Um, Stephen Hawking, his last speech... He talked about Proxima Centauri. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, all I heard you say was Stephen yeah. Hawking, his last speech. Yeah, he talked about Proxima Centauri. Yeah, I think Proxima Centauri is... <laughs> Can we just talk about this? No. What What did we just talk about then? You were talking about red dwarfs. And I'm asking, why did Stephen Hawking talk about Proxima? And what it, where is it? Tell us. So, Proxima Centauri is our closest star. And it's a red dwarf. I think it's just over four, 
light years away. And is it, tr um, is it true that it takes 18,000 of our years for one light year or no? But yeah, keep going. It, 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 from, okay, with our modern chemical rockets, like the fastest things we have right now would take somewhere, I'm just downscaling a little bit because when I first started this, it was uh, based on other rockets, but now with, you know, Musk and, and these other guys, I, I think it would take at a minimum with our fastest rockets, what I remember hearing was 70,000 years at the current speed. So downscaling it a little bit, I'd say like 50,000 years. And so unless you're willing to engage in like an arc ship style endeavor, which is way future, 50,000 years to get the Proxima Centauri? Under, under chemical rocket capabilities. Yeah, that's the thing. And so once you start realizing this distance and then also you realize that these Nimitz flips are acknowledged to be real. Uh, then it involves a changing understanding of physics and I think that's where Lazar comes in. Uh. That's exactly where Lazar, Bob Lazar comes in there very very clearly it's the same exact movement that he predicted when you look at gimbal especially i mean oh man and and you know what there have been uh people that have come out and you know publicly and said yeah there's other and on podcasts there's other footage that's much more the, the question he's like there's other footage that's very clear and the one person the host was like how clear and he said it's very clear. So we've been shown like downgraded clips that they see appropriate. Hmm. I don't see any other way to explain that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too the other day. I'm thinking about all this and I'm thinking it all comes down to travel. It all comes down to our inability to get to these star systems. We can't, I mean, we can't even get to the moon. Well, so to Mars, like optimal launch time, I, I, I don't, I honestly don't know. But, but from, you know, my memory of like longest to the shortest, I know it can take as long as two years to get to Mars based on where the different planets are. And Mars has an elliptical orbit too, but the main issue is like our position relative to each other in orbits and um, the closest I think we can get is like it with modern technologies maybe like four, five, six months I'm thinking if, if it's optimal launch conditions with you know perfect rocket and all that which you know is the first Mars uh, oh okay so yeah dude four to six months to get to Mars that's what we're dealing with our closest planet in terms of Alpha Centauri I again the number that I remember hearing with the previous NASA most capable rocket again probably like 10 years ago 5 years ago maybe it was 70,000 years and again that, it, that, that necessitates like an arc type ship so there's no way in, in, in to approach the speed of flight according to our understanding of physics which obviously isn't right because there's other ways well maybe it is under that 
in moving through space, um, maybe it is true that it you can never reach the speed of light because it would take more energy than is in all of the universe. That's what our equations under current physics say. So where does quantum come in? I mean, we're still figuring all of that out. Spooky interaction at a distance. I mean, there's no resolution on that. String theory, I, I don't, I mean, Look, I don't even wade into that because I don't know enough to talk about it, but that, I, I think the best understanding that I can come to is that we don't understand gravity and what Bob has said. So, so wait, clarify. You said four to six months to get to Mars. I thought you said two years. How long does it take? If we're at the closest approach to Mars, I believe it's between four and six months to get there. If we're on one side of the sun and we want to do like a loop-de-loop to get to them, if we need, in other words, if you needed to get to that planet at some point without waiting a long, the furthest they are ever away is like a two-year trip, but the closest they are. Um, not only the like closeness of the elliptical orbit of Mars and and our more circular, but also position relative to the sun, that would be four to four to six. I, I mean, I just off the hip four to six. I know that's kind of what Musk is planning. So, do you know where Voyager One is now? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, in in, re- yeah. in relation to Voyager One, why first of all, why are you laughing? Because I love thinking about the fact that. That we're that it's the farthest thing that we've ever sent. So in, where where Voyager One is, how far is Voyager One from Proxima Centauri? Still a long way. Um. Yeah, I mean there there was just a podcast about scale that I listened to. I saw a guest on something about scale, and it was um. I mean my my distillation of that into what you're asking would yeah. look something like this. I think it's probably something like, and if this is just, oh, okay, off the end. Uh, let's say you've got, um, you know, like a, a super ball. No, let's just say a tennis ball at home plate. I think the earth would be like a BB, uh, now let's let's downgrade that thing at home plate to a P. Okay. Okay. The thing at home plate that is our sun is now a P. Okay. And and the Earth is a grain of sand. I would say like probably about a foot out from the P. Okay. Roughly, and then our closest. Okay, and then let's go about say five feet out that's where the outer planets and Voyager could be found okay. so we're talking within within like 10 feet are uh, wow. we start to enter the Oort cloud and then maybe by like 20 or 30 feet maybe you're you're, you're kind of at at that point, like, 
I mean, you're you're well past being out of the tropospause, or what's it called? The yeah, tropo. Tro, okay, edit that. <laughs> I I can count on you to do that, right? Man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's it called? It's a tropospause. What the fuck is that called? Heliopause. All right. So. You know, let's say let's say we're at 20 feet from home plate. Um, you know, again, it's a P. That's the sun on home plate. We've got the Earth, which is a grain of sand. What did I say? Maybe a foot, something like that. This is all just roughly. And then by the time you get to like five feet, I think that's where Voyager is, probably. And it's getting out of the influence of our sun, and now it's meeting. Uh, you know, the cosmic medium, which is just like all this stuff storming in. And we went through these different bubbles uh, as, the, as Voyager was flying through. Did two make it? I think both have kind of into different regions of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, what I think what that represents is kind of what was expected, which is actually cool because they, they predicted it would be kind of a, like a frothy bubbly kind of interface between I think it's called the heliopause I'm not sure um, but something you know there's like a bow shock I know that's involved where uh, you know this cosmic wind is hitting us from other stars and our our sun is like as it's barreling through space so it's got a tail of this behind us those those simulation pictures are awesome of it you know so there's just and it's just like deflecting all this stuff as it barrels through space against the cosmic wind, which is incoming. And so that's kind of where Voyager is getting. So that might be at like five feet. Then at ten, by the end, ten feet or twenty feet, maybe you have the end of the Oort cloud. And from what I understand, Oort clouds kind of touch each other a little bit. And so then you'd maybe have like another. I I think it's like a mile until you get to Alpha or Proxima. They're all the same. They're, they're within they're within 10 feet of each other, less. But here's, but here's the thing, here's the thing. The, this doesn't help. This doesn't help you or I um, get to these planets, but in terms of humanity, like 70,000 years ago, we had a, we had a, a star that was within like half the day. I don't, I don't know that number, but it was, a, Stars come and go through our cosmic neighborhood, and you know it's all predictable. We know that when the next one's going to be here, and I don't know that offhand, but um, we know that there was one very close seventy thousand years ago. Not enough to disrupt our Oort cloud, but that's what you start to. use light time to measure the vast distances of space. It's the distance that light travels in a specific period of time. Also, light is fast, nothing travels faster than light. How far can light travel in one minute? 11,160,000 miles. It takes 43.2 minutes for sunlight to reach Jupiter, about 484 million miles away. 
Light is fast, but the distances are vast. In an hour, light can travel 671 million miles. Earth is about 8 light minutes from the Sun. A trip at light speed to the very edge of our solar system, the farthest reaches of the arid cloud, a collection of dormant comets way, way out there, would take about 1.87 years. Keep going to Proxima Centauri, our nearest neighboring star, and plan on arriving in 4.25 years at light speed. When we talk about the enormity of the cosmos, it's easy to toss out big numbers, but far more difficult to wrap our minds around just how large, how far, and how numerous celestial bodies really are. To get a better sense, for instance, of the true distances to exoplanets, planets around other stars, we might start with the theater in which we find them. The Milky Way galaxy Our galaxy is a gravitationally bound collection of stars swirling in a spiral through space. Based on the deepest images obtained so far, it's one of about two trillion galaxies in the observable universe. Groups of them are bound into clusters of galaxies, and these into superclusters. The superclusters are arranged in immense sheets stretching across the universe, interspersed with dark voids and lending the whole a kind of spider structure. Our galaxy probably contains 100 to 400 billion stars, and is about 100,000 light years across. That sounds huge, and it is, at least until we start comparing it to other galaxies. Our neighboring Andromeda galaxy, for example, is some 220,000 light years wide. Another galaxy, IC 1101, spans as much as 4 million light years. Based on observations by NASA Kepler Space Telescope, we can confidently predict that every star you see in the sky probably hosts at least one planet. Realistically, we're most likely talking about multi-planet systems rather than just single planets. In our galaxy of hundreds of billions of stars, this pushes the number of planets potentially into the trillions. Confirmed exoplanet detections, made by Kepler and other telescopes, both in space and on the ground, now come to more than 4,000, and that's from looking at only tiny slices of our galaxy. Many of these are small, rocky worlds that might be at the right temperature for liquid water to pool on their surfaces. The nearest known exoplanet is a small, probably rocky planet orbiting Proxima Centauri, the next star over from Earth. A little more than 4 light years away, or 24 trillion miles. If an airline offered a flight there by jet, it would take 5 million years. Not much is known about this world, its close orbit and the periodic flaring of its star lower its chances of being habitable. The TRAPPIST-1 system is seven planets, all roughly in Earth's size range, orbiting a red dwarf star about 40 light-years away. They are very likely rocky, with four in the habitable zone, the orbital distance allowing potential liquid water on the surface. And computer modeling shows some have a good chance of being watery, or icy, worlds. In the next few years, we might learn whether they have atmospheres or oceans, or even signs of habitability. One of the most distant exoplanets known to us in the Milky Way is Kepler, minus 443b. Traveling at light speed, it would take 3,000 years to get there. Or 28 billion years, going 60 mph. At light speed, one year at half of light speed, two years at the speed of lightning, return stroke, three years at the speed breakthrough stash of ships claim they will travel. Five years at the speed of the fastest recorded man-made object ever, Helios 2, swinging by the sun. 4,269 years at the speed of a hydrogen atom in the sun's core, 15,500 years at the top speed of the Saturn V rocket that got us to the moon, 1, 0, 8, 8, 6, 7 years at the speed of the world's fastest airplane, 3, 0, 5, 9, 7, 5 years at the world land speed record.
8, 7, 9, 4, 6, 4 years at the speed of sound. 8, 8, 2, 3, 2, 7 years at highway speed, 80 mph. 8, 3, 8, 8, 2, 7, 0 years at walking speed, 3.1 mph. 2, 1, 5, 9, 9, 3, 7, 9, 9 years at a snail's pace. 0, 3 mph. 8, 3, 3, 0, 4, 2, 0, 1, 3, 7, 0, 0, 0, 0 years to travel one light year with the fastest spacecraft made by humans so far is New Horizon Probe which travels at the speed of 58,536.67 kmph or 36, 373 mph will take us little under 20,000 years to travel one light year. In one light year there are 9 trillion, 460 billion, 528 million, 405,000, kilometers. 9 trillion, 460 billion, 528 million, 405,000 kilometers. I wish in the near future, the mankind may come up with such spaceships that can travel way faster. So, we can finally explore our Milky Way galaxy and our universe. If you can hear that noise, that is our uh, drones descending back upon your property. Uh, apparently, uh, we just received intel from our audiovisual uh, electronic department that um, uh, uh, this this character has tried to call quote, quote call us off. Uh, first of all, uh, we are a part of the Galactic Federation. Uh, we use this frequency to communicate with those beings who can hear us. There's no possible way this uh, uh, Jacques uh, Nicholson uh, would have been able to uh, hear any of our dialogue, let alone uh, being able to tap into its uh, frequency. So, uh, if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, please disregard. Uh, but this is your friend Carl Sagan once again.